Thanks for tuning in to the HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney. The HR Uprising is focused on helping forward-thinking people professionals deliver real lasting value in their organisations. I'm a chartered psychologist, speaker and trainer, and recently authored the best-selling business book, How to Be a Change Superhero. My day job is founder and CEO of software and training business Actus. This gives me the opportunity to work with other businesses like yours. We are focused on building a better workplace for people wherever they are located with the help of our performance, learning and talent management software and our training and consultancy services. Every week on the podcast, I will be covering different topics and challenges, joined by relevant experts and real-life people professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoy and get value from this week's episode. Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. And this week, I'm delighted that Vicky Roberts is returning to give us a really practical Uh, example of how to conduct an investigation. So the reason she offered, Vicky, many of you will know from her previous podcast with us, just from um, our employment lawyer, our resident employment lawyer, I think we could say Vicky now from Vista. (laughs) Um, So thank you so much for coming back. And what happened was after our last podcast, we had a chat about what are the real pain points for HR? What are the things that people often approach Vicky and her team um, and obviously in your learning and development type role there as well, isn't it? And how, how you, offer, you also offer training to people. And mm. this came out that very often HR people, well, when they're asking managers to conduct an investigation, people don't know where to start. So this is a practical one. It's also available on YouTube. So we'll be putting links to that the first time we're going to do it. So that actually, if you want to provide the link to one of your line managers, you'll be able to actually use it and share some of these tips. So we hope it's going to be super helpful. Vicky, do you want to introduce yourself? Because obviously some listeners won't have come across you before. Yes, of course. Yes. Hello. I'm I'm Vicky, Vicky Roberts from, from Vista. We are um, employment lawyers by background, so we support some of the UK's largest employers. Um, as well as sort of doing the, what you might describe as the normal lawyering, we also conduct investigations on behalf of, of organisations and also provide training to managers um, about how to manage their people. Um, focused on lots of things ER related, but one of our more popular courses is investigations. And in order to do that, um, I've put together this three-part sort of planning technique, which I find really seems to make the difference for managers to feel that they've got something to work to. Um, so that's the, the that structure that we're going to have a look at today. That's great. And I think, thank you so much for, talk, for doing it in a, in a sort of practical way because I always think that if we can give people takeaways it's so helpful isn't it and you know, models yes. and tools for it so yes. um, when might you before kind of going to when might uh, when might we need to do it I've never had to do an investigation so when might we have to do that so they typically come up in the context of either there being an allegation of misconduct in some way that's of a severity that perhaps can't be dealt with informally um so you know you typically see it with dignity at work type issues or health and safety type concerns that sort of thing um or when an employee raises uh, raises a grievance and that 
dealt with informally, the employees insisting on on that being uh, dealt with, you know, through the formal processes. Right. You can use this technique actually for any kind of workplace investigation. It stands you in pretty good stead to look at all of these things because it's just about a mindset of of getting a balanced fact find under your belt rather than it feeling like a one sided prosecution, which managers often feel that they are having to do because they're being appointed on behalf of the organization to conduct so it's about being investigation um, it's about being open it's not about um but it's it's about demonstrating that you've been objective and and that's it that's it so if we focus just for a minute as an example on say a disciplinary investigation an allegation that somebody's committed misconduct the next step beyond the investigation will be a disciplinary hearing. And if somebody's done the investigation, they won't be that disciplinary chairperson, of course, will they? Yeah. The disciplinary chairperson, in order to make the decision on that allegation of misconduct, needs to have a genuine belief based on reasonable grounds that misconduct has occurred. Where do they get that from? It's the investigation report. Uh, that they then use to kind of explore with the colleague in the in the disciplinary hearing. So actually, if we get our investigations effective, actually, it helps the more perhaps more senior manager who is then conducting the the disciplinary hearing to feel that they've got that genuine belief based on reasonable grounds. Um, And because, of course, it's them that then will be in the uh, light as far as making that disciplinary decision whether it be that that decision is appealed or worst case, we end up in tribunal about it sort of thing. It's not the investigator that would tend to be in a witness in the tribunal hearing. It will be the disciplinary chairperson. So we're helping that disciplinary chairperson by doing a good quality investigation. Because they've got to be able to refer back to whatever it is you did, because the person who did the, the investigation won't necessarily be there when you're actually having to use no. that evidence. Yeah, no, that's right. That's right. So they, they've got, they have to have that, that piece of, that document that report if you like in front of them the colleague will also have it as well because the ethos behind a disciplinary hearing is everybody sees everything in that mm-hmm. sense mm-hmm. So, so it actually makes for a much less contentious disciplinary hearing because everybody's looking at the same piece of paper as it were in terms of exploring the facts of the particular case got you got you okay brilliant so walk me through it then <laughs> sure thing you're going to share, you've got some slides to share as well. So if anyone wants to see visuals, you can actually go onto YouTube and you'll be able to see those too. Yes. So the, the technique that I mentioned is a three-part technique where we encourage managers to break down the case into three constituent parts. And what this is looking to do is give them structure. So to get beyond the emotion, get beyond the kind of complexity of what's happened and they and uh, they know the organization, they know what goes on. So, okay, so let me break down what I'm looking into, into what actually happened. So that's what evidence is there to support a conclusion that this happened, what are the relevant rules and what are the relevant surrounding circumstances. So, each of the techniques has its own role in terms of dealing with some of those points that you mentioned. So the what actually happened, what this helps to do is really focus the mind. One of the things where I've seen problems arise with investigations most often is delay. 
It takes months to investigate this thing. And of course, if the employee is suspended or, you know, the grievance has been raised and that's the centre of their world right now, any delay that feels unreasonable is going to heighten the tensions around all of this. So that really helps with efficiency. And often when people brief people around an investigation, it's perhaps not as clear as it could be. So it helps us to say, right, what exactly am I looking into? What's my remit here? And also it helps the managers to spot if suddenly people are throwing in other allegations into the mix, they can start to say, okay, am I investigating that too? Or do I go back to whoever it is in the organization that's commissioned me to do this investigation to say, do you want me to do that? Two. So, you know, the, the allegation is that Vicky has you know, spoken inappropriately to a colleague, but somebody's also alleged that she's fiddling her expenses. Do I include that in my investigation or is that a separate thing to deal with sort of thing? It's kind of scoping it then, right? So it is. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Great way of putting it. Absolutely. And if there are conscious decisions that are made about that, um, you then keep in your mind that timeline of when that decision was made. And that then explains why this investigation has taken a month because of the fact that the remit changed in week two. Yeah. And suddenly we're not in unreasonable delay territory. We're just in it took a while because it needed to territory. And then what happens, uh, what this can be used for is to say, right, once I've got a clear remit, I can then identify who my witnesses are and who they aren't. So I don't have to speak to the whole shift or whoever, whatever it might be. But also I can start to plan and, and probe. Because um, one of the things I hear most often from HR is, oh, I wish this manager had probed this point in more detail. Right. And often I think the reason why they don't probe is that it's all going around in their heads in terms of what do they need to look into. So I've asked a question about that tick, I move on. Whereas actually if they can break down the case into more of these bite-sized chunks, they'll probe on the key issues in a bit more depth. So by probing, getting underneath what happened, mm. what, sorry, is there a definitive way of probing or is it just got saying, why did you do that or what else happened? What was, is it more about facts or is it about what was going on for the person? It can be both. It can be both. And, and the what is going on for the person comes into that third part of that technique. So let's hold mm. that thought because that, yeah. that I think is really important. But you're right. I mean, probing can be perhaps where I don't know, an, an incident has has happened and the colleague that they're in, the manager is interviewing has got brilliant recollection until the nub of the issue. And then they say, I can't remember. Mm. And so actually the manager will go oh they can't remember move on whereas actually we need them well what is it you what do can remember? You remember yeah <laughs> yeah exactly exactly right exactly exactly right or if we take a grievance example he was aggressive to me they just say he was aggressive they don't probe him well in what way what behavior what yeah. body language which of course you need yes. to then speak to the other party in this equation to say Fred says you were aggressive and this yeah. is what he described. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interpretation. It's going down to behaviours, isn't it? So that people, rather than interpretation of behaviours. That's right. Yeah, exactly right. right. Yeah. yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. So that, that, that kind of that focus on what actually happened really does help with this idea of probing in that sense as well. And it also encourages to make sure that you, um, uh, evaluate the quality of the evidence. Uh, and an example I often use in training is a silly one, but it's a really good example to get managers really thinking is if you imagine 
that in some way the colour of the sky was relevant on a particular day. And you've got two witnesses. One witness says, well, the day that we're talking about is the 1st of February. Um, of course, the sky was grey. It's always grey on that day on, in February. Mm-hmm. We always have loads of rain. Whereas you've got your other witness who says something like, well, actually, I really remember the 1st of February because I took the dog out for, for a walk and it was the first day I was able to go out without a coat. And I thought, blimey, 1st of February, great weather. Is this global warming? You know, they give yeah. you that kind of litany of detail. Whose evidence are you more likely to say is yeah. better quality? You're the one, yes. Yeah. yeah. Detail, like presumably, unless they come up That's with it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, exactly. And so actually, then you can then start to get the manager to really evaluate the evidence that they're seeing. But unless they've kind of locked it down in terms of what actually I'm looking into here, that that makes it more difficult. Because and how, and how clear the recall is, because I was thinking the yeah. whole thing about things like eyewitness, eyewitness testimony. I remember from my degree years ago, it's like notoriously unreliable. So that whole yeah. thing is, is actually how real is this information? Yeah, that's it. That's it. Exactly. And and that's where where uh, your background is, is far, far more in depth than mine in that sense. You can start to see where actually that the the um, the differences are enough to make somebody go, I believe that person over that person, which is something yeah. that managers I know really struggle with because we're suggesting the other person is lying, which isn't necessarily the case. It could be about recollection, couldn't it? And, and they don't say so that manager doesn't need to judge it in fact probably shouldn't judge it but what they need to do is ask enough questions and record I presume ad verbatim exactly what people are saying but probe it enough so that you get enough detail um for whoever to make the judgment as to how robust that set of facts is exactly right Uh, exactly right so what the investigator's role is is to say I think there is sufficient or insufficient evidence for a reasonable belief that x y and z happened then it's down for the disciplinary chairperson to say well actually do i genuinely believe that and it is you know a matter of genuine belief in that sense but but they're going to feel that they've got reasonable grounds for that belief if they've got a good quality report that describes and shows workings that for me is so crucial why do they believe that actually it's more likely that the sky was blue because witness that the witness really described a, a very clear recollection right, of something, yeah. you know, okay. that sort of thing. So they are interpreting it. So the investigation, the manager is interpreting it, but they're de- they're sharing the evidence that's given that interpretation. That's it. That's it. Exactly on. right. That's it. Exactly. And and it's then down to the disciplinary chairperson to decide whether to follow that or not. You know, they're, they're saying what the, the investigator is simply saying is there is or there isn't in their view sufficient mm. evidence to... Mm found a reasonable belief so the second part of the technique which is the what are the relevant rules what this is looking to address is um the 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 issue that managers often have around well I don't believe it's harassment but who am I to say you know that subjectivity Mm. about what the standards are it's sending them back to the source to say what's the standard operating procedure what's the policy what's the rule that this employee is alleged to have breached if we continue down the disciplinary type route and compare the behavior that you found actually happened to what the policy says you shouldn't shouldn't or shouldn't do to then say i i conclude that there is evidence to say that behavior x broke broke policy y so it really is kind of then ruling out any of that subjectivity. And the reason I use harassment is, is a good example. Whenever somebody's investigating a dignity at work issue 
unless they go back to what the organization's definition of harassment or bullying is, they find, they, they, they find it difficult to come to a conclusion about that. Well, you don't need to worry about that too much. Go back to what the rule says. Mm. And it also helps you to identify as an organization if there is, perhaps if I go back to my standard operating procedure example, um, a, uh, a perhaps a, an inconsistent application of that standard operating procedure, which perhaps explains why there's been an apparent breach or something like that. And then the third part of the technique is really, I think, where the magic happens in terms of achieving that really good quality balanced investigation. What you're looking for here is mitigating or aggravating factors. So what's been going on for the employee that's caused them to be snappy or, or be aggressive? And, and from a, again, if we use a disciplinary as an example, you know, an employee is going to feel more likely to be listened to if the investigator is saying, so tell me what was going on for you at the time you had this conversation so that they're going to feel able to say, look, you know, my grandma was in hospital, the cat was at the vets, whatever it might be, that might be a, a cause of the, of, of the behavior, which then can be taken into account when um, the disciplinary chairperson then makes the decision. And that would be about sanction, of course. It wouldn't be about whether they did it because that's not relevant to whether mm. they did it. It's only relevant to what was the reasoning behind it. Yeah. So, so if They've been they'd been persistently, I don't know, aggravated in some way, or there's it was a, there's lots of the circumstances that may or may not justify the outcome, but or at least explain it, I guess. That's it. That's it. And and whether the disciplinary chairperson says that's enough to mitigate whatever the potential sanction they're considering is is a matter for them really to decide. But if the investigation lays it out at the beginning, at least it demonstrates to the employee that we are willing to listen yes. to the surrounding circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing it does, of course, is also pick up on aggravating factors. So if what I often hear is, oh, well, if there's evidence that they were aggressive before, then they must have done it this time. Well, it's not really probative of the fact that just because I was aggressive previously doesn't mean to say that there's any evidence to say that I did it this time. But if my manager spoke to me about it and told me that this behavior is aggressive and is not okay, then actually when we come to look at then dealing with the second incident, the fact that I've been told about it is an aggravating factor. So again, could go to you know, the potential sanction. So it enables us to make proper decisions in oh, terms right. of how aggravating, we should aggravating factor it's not it's not aggravated me to behave in a certain way I say it's almost a factor that works against me so if I've said oh yeah. no, I'm not being aggressive but my manager talked to me about this particular tone of voice or way of erecting and it coming over as aggressive that's an aggravating factor against my you know against the mitigation if that makes sense yes uh, yeah. exactly so it could be one way or the other couldn't it you know if if somebody's committed that misconduct a second time it's not probative of the fact that they've done it the foot done it this time this time that we're looking into so it doesn't sit in that first part of the technique but it does it is relevant to what the sanction should be mm. because they've I've, I've already been told about it once type thing so I shouldn't I, I should expect a more severe sanction because I've already been told what the expectation yes, is yes. of me yeah so in, excuses that's it exactly what's yes. interesting is if you go and talk to somebody about it I imagine the individual wants to start with the mitigation 
But yeah. actually, you need to go, no, actually, let's start with the facts. And we will come on to those extenuating circumstances later, isn't it? Facts, rules. That's it. That's it. One of the things that managers, I think, feel quite often is when they're asked to do an investigation, they need to have the Sherlock Holmes aha moment and <laughs> prove that somebody did it, you know. But actually, if we can create an atmosphere where we're saying to the employee being investigated, we're listening, tell me what's going on. They're more likely to be open. They're more yeah. likely to feel that they're able to share. And a good way of doing that is really making sure that we're focusing on the surrounding circumstances. So that's where I think it helps a manager to kind of drop their shoulders and go, okay, I'm not having to be Sherlock Holmes. I'm just having to ask good quality questions about what happened and really listen to what Mm. the employee has to say. And so it just, as I say, takes a little bit of the mystique out of conducting an investigation. Yeah, I can see that. I'm seeing links here between, I did a podcast, a podcast on mediation with um, Pete Colby, which and that is this kind of link here. You can see that these yeah. are the things that understanding, being able to really listen um, to, to people's circumstances, their perceptions, those sort of things feels like it, it links. Most definitely. Most definitely. I completely agree. And really what it also does is pull on managers, you know, listening capabilities, their questioning techniques that they'll have learned in other ways. We just need to, to translate this into more of a, uh, what feels like a more contentious process, mm-hmm. but actually it isn't ultimately it doesn't need to be if we, if we give them a structure to work to. No, that's good. Really good to have that. So when you're training people on it, do you kind of go through role plays with this or go do it in a, is that how yeah. you manage it? Yeah. 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 So, so the way we tend to st- structure a piece of training is we'll, we'll get, we'll give them this technique, talk through the theory, much like we've done here, and then give them a case study and ask them to st- think about the questions that they would want to ask and crucially get them into the practice of saying, great question. Why are you asking it? So that they can see the link. Then what we will do is explore okay. questioning t- techniques with them. So, so that they see why they're asking the question according to this three-part technique, so that they identify any kind of logical errors around. Oh, well, did you do it? Have you done it before? Why are you asking that question? Oh, it's a relevant surrounding circumstance. Yes, it is. You know, it's that sort of process that so we go helping through. them get aware about which whereabouts in the process it is and what the questions are, and asking them in the right order, maybe. That's it. That's it. Exactly. Exactly. And then what we tend to do is share with them a, a, a matrix type idea that says you can use this thinking when you're actually planning your investigation. Because one of the other pain points that I hear is that all oh, managers write a list of questions and then they don't bend and sway. They don't sort of respond to the answers. They just go through the questions and end the interview as a result. They're not really listening. No, exactly. No, quite. Uh, And we've all done it. We've all thought, right, these are the questions I need to ask. Then the conversation goes in a different direction. And you're like, ah, no, actually, they aren't the questions, as I thought. So would you recommend using your matrix? You've got a matrix, haven't you? Yes. 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 Helps them to sort of remind them if they're going off piece. That's it. That's it. So here's one I prepared earlier (laughs) just to show you. Um, So the matrix, um, and I actually do use this when I'm investigating myself, and I tend to put it into Excel rather than this looks a bit more visually attractive than than Excel. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's it. So so what I tend to do is say, okay, like, let me just evaluate this case that I'm investigating into what actually happened. So what are the allegations that I'm looking at here? What are the relevant rules that I need to be thinking about? Um, so where are the policies, and et cetera, that set out what the standards of behaviour are? 
And then what are the relevant surrounding circumstances? And I might not have much inkling about that until I start talking to somebody, but it reminds me that I need to think about it. Then identify who my witnesses are. And then what we can start to do in these boxes is start to say, okay, what question do I need to ask about that particular issue? Then I also capture any documents, CCTV, that sort of thing. So so a document might be the standard operating procedure. And I then make sure that I capture in here what the particular rule is that, that we're then measuring that behavior against. So it gives me a structure to work to. And then you can plan your questions around. I don't know, three allegations, let's say you've got a row each for each of the allegations. So I know I need to speak to that witness and that witness about that allegation. And then when I've got the evidence about what happened, I need to compare it against whatever that standard operating procedure says the behavior needs to be, for example. And so if I kind of partially populate this to, to illustrate it, and I, I, I was thinking about uh, how I how I explain this, and I thought a silly example, uh, an argument, a point of argument in our household always is about why did you put the washing out when it was clearly going to rain? So if you imagine, <laughs> so if you imagine a standard operating procedure that says don't put the washing on the line if there is a risk of rain, um, you can then start to uh, identify. The sort of allegation and so if we've got two witnesses an example who is alleged mm -hmm. to have put that washing out and a witness who was in the house at the time Celia Fate and the standard operating procedure says don't put the washing out when there is a risk of rain you then starting to you're starting to look at what happened on the 1st of July let's say so did Anne put the washing out Seems a sim simple question, but we've got to find the evidence to see whether she did or she didn't. But also, where was the risk? So was there a risk of rain? So it takes us to that example of what colour was the sky on the 1st of July. And then when the what does the standard operating procedure actually say? And then perhaps the relevant circumstances might be what was going on for Anne. Does Anne know what the standard operating procedure says? So that kind of gives you your plan. Then you can start to put some questions together um, around that plan. And as you're conducting your investigation, you can then start to say, OK, what's the results of my investigation? So I populate my matrix with the evidence that I've gathered. So again, if I just share the next page this sort of shows you the results of having interviewed Anne first and then, and then Celia. And if we just take this point as an example, Anne says, oh, I can't remember whether I put the, the washing out on the 1st of July. Celia, the witness says, I remember having that conversation and she said she was going to risk it. Now, this is a silly example, but if we translate this into something like a health and safety concern, you can see where actually, hopefully, you can see where this starts to become really useful. You can start to evaluate what appears to be two differing people's version of events in terms of, I can't remember, why can't you remember, versus somebody who more deliberately remembers that conversation. 
Um, and, and then what you do is you use this, this completed matrix to then start to write your report. So you would say, for example, here, there is a conflict of evidence between Anne and Celia, but perhaps I prefer Celia's version of events because it's more specific. She remembers the, the events running up words to it. kind of thing, yeah. That's it. Exactly. Exactly. So again, if we look at it through, if you were, say, Lucinda, then the disciplinary chairperson, you would be pretty confident to say, I think there, I, I can have a genuine belief based on reasonable grounds yes. that Anne did put that washing out on that day. What this doesn't show is whether there's any intent. Oh, no, she said she was going to risk it. If Celia's kind of say she said she was going to risk it, Anne can't remember. So you don't, what you don't know is whether or not Anne is saying she can't remember or genuinely can't remember. No, no, exactly. And, and then you would look, uh, and that's where you would look to probe. Because then uh, what you often find this matrix does is when you step back after your interviews, you go, hang on a minute, that doesn't make sense. One person's saying that they can't remember. The other person's got a very florid recollection mm -hmm. I need to go back and speak to Anne again so then you get that probing and one of the things managers struggle with I think is they feel that the that the investigation needs to run like a well-oiled machine but it's a live process yeah. I'd much rather than go back and say I'm really sorry Anne I need to speak to you again than try and kind of plow on knowing yeah. that there is an obvious hole and it's the matrix helps you with that spotting that obvious hole if you like brilliant that's really practical I can see that that is I can see how that works. You know, silly examples sometimes the best ones, aren't they, in terms of bringing things to life? So that's, that's it. That's helpful. That's it. Is that that's the way it. the example goes, or is there another, is there another aspect to it? Um, so then just looking at then the, the, the rest of the matrix, it then just makes sure that we capture what exactly the standard operating procedure says so that we can then compare. And as you say, we look and look at things like intent at that set. It only, it, the, the rule says only putting out the washing out when there is no risk so would a gray sky equal no risk you know that's how you'd be evaluating that sort of behavior um and then you could also look at the mitigating circumstances well Anne says look you know the whole day was a blur because I was worried about the cat at the vets so that might make more sense of the I can't remember it might do but also it's very clear that she knew exactly what the rules were so that takes you to those aggravating factors that we were talking about yeah. earlier. So I should have known better. That's it. That's right. That's right. So all of that then can flow into the investigation report. And it all just feels more doable for managers when they've got a structure to work to, which is really the, the, the idea behind it. Why we put, why I put it together in the first place to yeah. give managers something to work to. So are there any other um, things that people end up being trained on? What, what are your other sort of pain points that managers come and get trained on? Because I can see why that is something you wouldn't necessarily know how to do, or you wouldn't yeah. have, you might not feel, it's kind of common sense, but you might just need that confidence, don't you, to know it's what you're doing it right? That's right, exactly. And, and because there's kind of law involved in all of this, people get very nervous about it. You're mm. absolutely right. Um, and actually, we can use this technique as well. If I go back to look at the technique itself for a second, you could, if you're the disciplinary chairperson, so you're obviously not involved in the investigation, but you're the disciplinary chairperson, you can evaluate that case that in front of you based on, on this technique as well. So we encourage our disciplinary chair people in training to, to, to kind of evaluate the evidence to say, do I genuinely believe that misconduct occurred? Mm. 
what does the evidence tell you based on the investigation report on, on your discussion in the disciplinary hearing? So again, it gives them something to work to when they're when they're planning their agenda for a disciplinary hearing to feel that they've given the case a good airing. Yeah. And a lot of this is about confidence to be able to say, I have I feel I've made a good quality decision and these are my yeah. These, this is this is this is my workings, if you like. This is why I've decided what I have done. I followed the process. Fantastic. That's it. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank yeah. you, Vicky. I think that's that's really practical for people. Um, Good. So I, I know you've been on the podcast before. Do you want to just let, mention how people can get hold of you if they want to? And to say we're going to put the link to this um, as a video for people if they want to share this with their managers uh, on on our links. Just go to hruprising.com and that's where the show notes will be. Um, lovely just mention mention how they can get a hold of you I'm sure they can look yes and things too yes absolutely so the last page on um on the um on the uh the, the slideshow that I've just been showing is just a synopsis of of all the things that we have been talking about in terms of the benefits of of that three-part technique if you want more information about it you can um either email me it's vroberts at vista online.co.uk um, or if you search for Vista Employer Services you'll find it's www.vistaemployer.co.uk and there's this technique and quite a few others and also a very typical investigations training program for you to have a look at if it's something that you think actually your managers would benefit from. Are they open programs that people come to you or do you kind of take them to the to them? Yes, it's a really good question. At the moment, we do them in-house for an organisation. So it would be for a group of about 10 managers. But it's an interesting point that you raise. Uh, you know, if there is, a, there, there is enough interest, we could certainly have a look at doing an open programme because actually sharing organisation by organisation experience or something like this is something that, that, um, that, yeah, that would be very good. valuable. Yeah, absolutely. You've got, to, you've got to choose dates and fill them. That's, that's the issue with open programs. We always find is you've got to kind of take a punt on dates and see if people can make it. But uh, that's it. That's it. That's it. Be beneficial. But, but this is it. But it, you know, if they're in, in, in amongst your audience, if there is mm. enough interest, then maybe it's something. We well, that's it. Yeah, maybe there's waiting list. You could kind of get enough until you've got critical mass to run it, and then that might might work. So if people are interested, get in touch with Vicky. Yeah, of course. Brilliant. Yeah, of course, with pleasure. Fantastic. Thank you so much once again for coming on and, and educating us. I think that was really super useful. Um, and I definitely no learned something there, Vicky. So thank you for Good. coming on the uh, HR Uprising. On to the next topic, we'll have to decide. In fact, you know, please get in touch, guys, if that was useful to you or would you like Vicky to come on and do any other employment law topics, um, you know, get in touch with us through various social media and, and, and let us know and, and um, we'll definitely have you back. Thanks again Lovely. for joining. Lovely. Th- a pleasure, Lucinda. No problem at all. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. I really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable. If you did, perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague or give us a review on your platform of choice. It really helps new listeners to find us. Now you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising, to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to The HR Uprising podcast.